I'm wondering whether you ever spend time thinking about the glory that awaits you. You ever think about that? You are destined for something amazing. And I don't know whether you ever look around at each other and think, what are you going to look like in heaven? Yeah, you ever do that? <laughs> Some do, yeah. I'd encourage it. Like, like don't you realise that, that you're going somewhere and it is glorious. Now, I think, the, I think we need to talk more about heaven. I don't think we talk about it enough. And, and I think to talk about it in, in an understanding of, or to, to try and help us understand what this is, I suppose. I was, I was picked up a book randomly yesterday and was just struck by this quote that was on the back cover. And it was basically saying, the life of a, of a man, you know, they're born in weakness, their life is then struggle, it's this constant fight against all their failings, all their immaturity, all their stupidity. And after many, many decades, finally by the time they get to about 70, they've finally matured and they get it. And they've actually kind of become what a human being's meant to be. And then what are they good for? Pretty much death. <laughs> but it was basically saying, like, that's... That's kind of the despairing way of looking at it. And, and I think a lot of people look at that struggle and they think, well, what, why should we be wasting our time? You know, why not just <coughs> let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, as it says in the scriptures. Let's just enjoy ourselves now. Forget about becoming something. Forget about trying to become the best version of myself. Let's just live the hedonistic dream. But I think this is where we need to come back to this idea that you're actually going somewhere. And, and this is central to the whole story of the scriptures. Is that God has pretty much set you up in a position where he's saying, I'm going to do everything for you, but you've got to fight. Because I want you to become something. You know, if you go right back to the beginning, we heard the story of Adam and Eve here. When you get to the, the story of their children, the first thing God says to, to Cain is when he's about to kill his brother and God basically says, look, Cain, sin is lurking at the door wanting to devour you. You've got to master it. So there's the thing. You're going to become something if you're prepared to put the hard work in. You know, once again, we start to see this all the way through the scriptures, even book of Judges, right at the beginning, God basically says to the whole people of Israel, look, you find yourself in this whole land where you're surrounded by temptation. There's all these other foreign gods, and I'm not going to get rid of them because I want you to fight. And it's an internal fight. I want you to choose. I want you to make a decision to become something glorious. But you, what, you have to want it. You have to have a vision for what you're going to become and you've got to fight against something. And I think this is the way that God treats us like a father. You know, he's, he's training us. He's got a vision of what we can become. But I think sadly, often Christian spirituality has been simplified down to kind of this idea where God's just like Santa Claus. 
You know, you, you believe in Jesus? Right, there you go. Ticket to heaven. Nothing else you need to do. All yours. And, and we work out the logic pretty simply. We're like, well, if I believe in Jesus, I don't need to do anything else. And, and I think, I mean, that's kind of the extreme understanding of it, but I think we, we miss actually something of the whole purpose of what we're doing here and of where we're actually going. You know, I, I, if I dare say, I think most of what you think about heaven is probably wrong. Or at least it's not the full story. Because so often we talk about heaven as being a place and paradise. It's like all the best bits of earth packed together for the rest of eternity. You know, last year I was doing some teaching for some catechists who were training little primary school kids. And one of these catechists was saying, you know, the questions I get in primary school are, are there going to be ponies in heaven? You know, is there going to be chocolate? You know, and I think we established there's probably chocolate ponies, which is the best of both. But um, I think for most people, we've still got a five-year-old's understanding of heaven. And once again, we then add our adult logic to it. We're like, well, why don't I just get a pony now and save all the effort? You know, why don't I just eat heaps of chocolate now and I'm already in heaven? I think this is where we need to grow up a little bit in our theology. And actually really come back to a scriptural understanding because as it says in the first letter of John, God is love. Heaven is to enter into God, is to abide in in God. Here's what Jesus is saying, you know, my desire is that they would be in me and Father, you would be in me and we'd just be this unity, you know, that they would dwell in this infinite love. It kind of changes the picture a little bit. It's no longer rivers of ice cream and mountains made out of chocolate. It's now a relationship. It's dwelling in love. And that suddenly changes the picture dramatically because while Christ has done everything on the cross to make that possible, he then leaves open the door for us to try to prepare ourselves for it. And, and this is the bit that we, I think we, we conveniently skip over. It's our bit of the deal. It's that we need to become love. And, and going back to that bit from 1 John chapter 4, where he says, you know, God is love. Anyone who lives in love lives in God and God lives in them. The next line is basically where it says, on the day of judgment, we will have confidence because as he is, so are we in the world. Basically what he's saying is we will have become, as God is, we will have become love. And so we will have no fear on the day of judgment because we will almost be like God. In the very nature of God, we will have become love. And, and, and that's, that's the key part of the story. You know, even when we pray the Our Father, the contract we make with God every day. I'm not sure whether you, you're aware of the contract you make. We always talk about God's unconditional love, but it's actually kind of conditional. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And if you actually go into the gospel where Jesus talks about it, he then repeats that after teaching them the Our Father. He says, just in case you guys miss this, the way that you are merciful to each other, that's the way I'm going to be merciful to you. Let's just be clear about that. That's the conditional love. But once again, it makes sense if we understand heaven as being love. 
Because I can't enter into love if there is not love in me. You know, if there's selfishness, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, all that ugliness that lives in our hearts far too often. And so really, this is where it starts to make sense of what do we have to do as Christians? How do we prepare ourselves to enter into this glory? There's this beautiful line in the second reading from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians where he basically says, the troubles that we're going through, the troubles which are soon over, though they weigh little, train us for the carrying of a weight of eternal glory which is out of all proportion to them. The trials, the sufferings of this present time are preparing us to carry a weight of glory which is so much bigger than the pain we're going through right now. You know, I was talking to the youth group on Friday night about this and I was basically saying, if you imagine that during the week you get a letter from the Reserve Bank saying that in 12 months' time we are going to open the bank vault where all the gold is and you can take as much as you can carry in your hands, what are you going to do? First thing, you get a gym membership. Okay, and you're going to be like, where's the biggest dumbbell possible? Okay, let's just start doing... I'm going to put myself through hardship because I want to be able to carry more of it. Now, that's an image which, which has been spoken in different ways through many saints. You, know, you go back to St. Augustine and he talks about how desire stretches our heart. You know, he uses the, the image of someone trying to stretch a, a sack so that it can hold more in it. You know, like trying to pull the material. It's hard work trying to stretch it so that it has a bigger capacity. And he says that all the, the yearning and waiting we have in prayer and, and even the sacrifice we make in our life now, like, I'm not going to have this good thing because I want something better. It actually stretches our heart to receive even more of God. You know, you go to St. Therese Lazure and she wrestled with this because she was saying, like, how can everyone in heaven be equal and yet at the same time, the scriptures suggest that some people are going to get more than others. And one of her sisters explained it to her by saying, imagine that everyone goes into heaven with a cup. And, you're, and everyone's cup is full, but everyone's cup is a different size. So some people have got a little thimble, whereas other people have got a massive bucket. You know, and, but it's the same image. It's like, how do I stretch my desire? How do I stretch my yearning for love? I just want more of God. You know, because I want to be filled with more of this glory. And really, this is what starts to make sense of the Christian way of life. It's a training in love. Like, every day I'm trying to choose love because I want to become love. You know, because I've got an idea of what this glory is that awaits me, I will always want to choose the hardest path. You know, I, I want to try and stretch that capacity. And, and we feel this. You know, I'm sure it's the most basic thing we understand that being selfish is really easy. It feels great at the time, but feels rubbish afterwards. Whereas to actually be selfless, to be loving, is really painful at the time. And yet afterwards we feel fantastic. That's the Spirit of God trying to say something. That's the Spirit of God trying to say, 
Choose the hardest path. You know, train yourself. Always try to seek to become what you're meant to be. And the reason why it's painful is because your soul is actually changing. Like it's actually kind of stripping away all the self and you're actually becoming like God. And so this is where it starts to make sense of everything we're doing. Particularly this, the Christian community. It's really quite hard being around people who you don't like. You know, most of you would never have chosen to sit next to the person you're next to. I mean, some of you did. That's why you're not sitting elsewhere. But, <laughs> but, but there's something about the Christian community that, that God draws together all these random people, very different personalities, different backgrounds, different nationalities, cultures, and we have to learn how to love each other. It's central to the St. Paul's whole vision. You know, when he says, you know, there is now no male or female, Jew or Gentile, Greek, you know, slave or free. He's trying to say that the whole point of why the church is essential is because it brings together people who would never spend time with each other elsewhere. And we have to learn how to love. We have to go beyond ourselves. You know, the very fact that, that the church crosses every different culture, it breaks down all the nationalism. You know, we're only our people. We're only like my people and not your people. It, it forces me to love. It forces me to understand. I have to learn how to understand the different ways of seeing things. It teaches me to love. And I think this is also where you start to make sense of all the church's big claims. You know, when the church says that there's no salvation without the church, and people kind of say, well, that's whatever. But really where it's coming from is a very Catholic understanding of what salvation looks like. It's not just getting to heaven, it's becoming what you're meant to be. And I need you. I need this community because you reveal my selfishness. And you force me to have to go beyond myself and die to my own selfishness and care for you. And I need that. You know, we all need this. You know, and this is why we actually need to be invested in each other's lives. If you're, if you're looking for the most simplistic understanding of heaven and hell, heaven is love, hell is selfishness. We live in a world which is promoting hell really well. Do what you want, when you want. The most important person in the world is you. You know, just be happy. Don't care about anyone else. If anyone else makes you unhappy, cut yourself off. You couldn't look for a better marketing campaign than that. Whereas this is the complete opposite. And I think as a church, we need to actively go in the opposite direction to where our society is going to. You know, when you come to church, you want to look around for the person who you don't want to sit with and sit next to them. You know, in, in whatever community you're part of, the person who annoys you the most, they should be your most valued friend. Go back to Therese Lisieux. Therese Lisieux, you know, she's a very young woman when she joins the convent, and she, she writes really honestly in her autobiography about how she was driven insane by these other nuns. You know, because there was like this old nun who used to rattle her false teeth in the chapel, and Therese is like, Arr. you know? This other nun would splash her every time they were doing the washing up. But gradually she started to realize 
I need you more than I need anyone else. Because if I'm actually going to become love, you're the one who's going to take me there. It's not going to be by hanging around the nice nuns or my friends. It's going to be by, by hanging around you. It's going to force me to go to prayer. It's going to force me to go to God saying, convert me. Take away my selfishness. Take away my vanity. Help me become like you are. And, and this is where we need community. That's why God stuck all the apostles together. I would love to have seen their dinner conversations. You know, because you've got such a mix of people. You've got Matthew the tax collector, who was compromising with the Roman Empire, and you've got Simon the zealot, who had devoted himself to kill anyone who was compromising with the Roman Empire. And Jesus is like, hey, you two, go out on mission together. Deal with it. <laughs> and, and this is the whole idea that, that, that it forces us to become love. And this is why he gives us the Holy Spirit. You know, when St. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love and peace and patience and kindness and self-control and all those other things we run out of. But it's because St. Paul realized you can't do this. This is not about you trying to do great things for God, trying to earn your way into heaven. It's about you understanding that you can't do it and it throws you back at the feet of Christ to say, help me, I need you. Give me the grace because I've run out. And so everywhere you find yourself, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in the church here, whether it's in your prayer groups, I strongly encourage you to throw yourself deeper, invest yourself more in those relationships. Find whatever opportunity you've got to, to go out and work with people who you find difficult. And let that throw yourself back into prayer to, to allow your prayer to go deeper and deeper. But at every moment, do it by keeping your eyes firmly on the end goal of where you're going. You know, to remember that weight of glory that you're training yourself to carry.